0: Lord, we just uh, do come to you with expectant hearts, just desiring you to move in our lives, just desiring you to, to change us and to spur us on, Lord, and to give us vision for all that you have for this body. And Lord, we just thank you for the work that you did in the first service. And Lord, you're so faithful. Lord, every, every time we come to your word, you're so faithful to speak. And so we just trust you to move again, uh, during the second service, we bless you, Lord, in jesus name, amen uh, well uh, i 'd like to share just real quick about uh, what happened this week at the youth camp. Uh, the Lord just moved radically as we left Sunday afternoon after the Luis Palau festival and loaded up about forty high schoolers into some vans and trucks and stuff, and hauled them up to the antone and and man, just how the Lord radically moved. Um, And, uh, you know, I was, I've known for a couple months that I'd be speaking at the camp, uh, one of the speakers. And, um, just every time I tried to study for this camp, I just hit a wall. I just couldn't even begin to, um, to move. And it's like the Lord wouldn't let me even open my mouth. Um, because he had something else on his heart that he wasn't going to reveal to me yet. And so I was just like, Oh, great. You know, and just as the months went by and the weeks went by, I was just like, Lord, show me, show me what you have. And, um, nothing, just absolutely nothing. And as we're driving up to the camp, I was in my own car and I was like, help God, help show me what you have for the youth and nothing, nope, nothing. Okay. And, uh, you know, it's, it's worship time before the Bible study and please God, it's getting dark. And I'm like holding my Bible up to the moonlight, you know, what I'm, please God, what, you know, and as we were worshiping the Lord, just put on my heart, uh, what that night was to be and and he just showed me himself in the first chapter of revelation and his glory and his splendor and his purity with those eyes like a flame of fire and and he just showed me that where the youth were in this body they were Uh, you know, they were in many of the stages of the seven churches there in chapters two and three of Revelation, where, you know, they had left their first love, like the darling church of Ephesus, you know, they uh, had mixture uh, of the world in them, and it was, it was causing lukewarmness, like the Laodicean church, and so the Lord just moved on us, that before he could speak the, 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 the words that he had, uh, we needed to just repent of lukewarmness. And it was just incredible as the kids stood and just uh, confessed lukewarmness and, and received the Lord. And, and as Sunday night was powerful, uh, Monday was, was just as powerful, if not even more, as he spoke through Hebrews 11. And then, and then Tuesday night was just an incredible time waiting on the Lord with the bonfire and just the the holy spirit just fell on us and it was just incredible as kids were crying out to be saved just as the lord just said hey if you have been resisting the lord all week tonight here in this bonfire you can just cry out simply lord save me and kids would just cry out lord save me lord save me and And, you know, kids are confessing lukewarmness and crying out to be filled with the Holy Spirit and overflown so they can be bold witnesses. And it was just so neat as some 11, 12, 13-year-olds, little guys, led the charge in prayer, crying out, I want to be used, Lord. Forgive me of my lukewarmness. I want to be bold and powerful. And and just every third prayer was by one of those guys, you know. And high schoolers are like, yeah me too lord don 't forget me, you know I want to too Lord, me too. I want to be like those little kids, you know and um, and just the Lord met us, and as we came back on Wednesday night uh, just and had a worship time and a prayer time, the Lord just met us radically as adults then were confessing lukewarmness and crying out for power and and uh, just an incredible time that I just wanted to rejoice in with you guys that the Lord did this week, and so i 'm so encouraged that this week that happened. Um, because we're going to take just a break from Luke for just this week and do a a survey of Acts. And we're going to look at the pulse of prayer through the book of Acts, the pulse of prayer through the book of Acts. Now, the book of Acts is unique and special because of three things number one, it bridges the gospels to the epistles And, you know, if if you didn't have the book of Acts, you'd be reading of the crucifixion and resurrection and then have no clue what Ephesus is all about or the region of Galatia or, or who's Paul, you know, we'd have no clue. So Acts is great for that. It also shows us the purpose of the church, the purpose of the church to reach the world, the lost world for Christ. And number three, it shows us different proponents of the church and how the church looks healthy, and its activities that it's involved in. And so, um, and so with that, we're going we're gonna to survey the activity of prayer and look at the pulse of prayer through the book of Acts. Just as if you were a, a, a doctor, or as if the Lord were a physician, and he were to take his stethoscope and place it on the heart of the church in Acts, there would be a, a steady, strong Rhythm, a steady, strong life, a heartbeat that, that as the church is praying out, they're crying out, Lord, we're alive. Do you hear us? Do you hear our, do you hear our strong pulse? Because we're alive as we cry out to you. Samuel Chadwick, a, a man from an earlier generation of the faith, said, Satan dreads nothing but prayer. His one concern is to keep the saints from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, mocks our wisdom, but trembles when we pray. And so you can only imagine as Christ was crucified and risen, and then all these little Christians, the name meaning little Christs, are running around the earth and they're steadfastly praying You know, Satan was shaking in his boots because much power comes when we pray as Christians. How terrified he must have been. Well, let's go ahead and dig right into it. In Acts chapter 1 verse 12, we see the first giant heartbeat, the first giant pulse of prayer in Acts. In Acts chapter 1 verse 12, where it says they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath's day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. Then all these continued with one accord in prayer and supplication, and the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether, the number of uh, names was about 120. So here you have the first heartbeat of, of prayer in the book of Acts. It's right after Jesus ascended to heaven and the disciples were continuing with one accord in prayer and in unity. And how incredible to see 120 people crying out to the Lord in unity. And man, didn't we just see that Wednesday night if you were here? You know, 100 people or or less, perhaps. You know, it was really dark out there. I didn't see the number, but just could see the silhouettes of the people just crying out in unity for the Lord to move in Prineville, crying out in one accord. And it says there in in, in Acts chapter 12, that they continued, or excuse me, Acts 12, chapter 1, um, verse 14, that they continued uh, with one accord, or they continued steadfastly, it says. So, that word continued steadfastly or that phrase means to be earnest towards something or to persevere or to constantly be diligent or to attend assiduously with care and persistent. And so the first prayer meeting in the book of Acts was 120 people coming together in unity with like-mindedness and they were persevering in crying out with earnestness in their heart to the Lord. They were crying out. And it's amazing to me as James says, verse chapter 5, verse 16, at the end it says, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. I love that. The effective fervent prayer. That word fervent means that it speaks of a, of a solid becoming so hot that it liquefies and boils. And man if you're if you've welded or or you know, if you bake chocolate and burn it, I don't know what, but you know, when that solid is so heated up that it just begins popping and boiling and bubbling, that that man there's there's it's ready to be shaped and molded. And how in a prayer meeting a man can go from being hard to crying out for the Lord to make him fervent in prayer. I'm hard. I'm not really much of a prayer person, but I want to be heated up for the Lord so that I'm boiling for him. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much, James says. And I love what the Amplified Bible says. It says that the earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. Man, don't you just love that as you're earnest and your heartfelt, you're praying, you're supplicating. Tremendous power is available for us as we cry out to the Lord. It's dynamic in its working. And so they continued in prayer, in worship, in supplication and in petition to the Lord. And the old cliche is so true that a church that prays together, stays together. I don't know. It sounds like an MC Hammer song, but that's like, you got to pray to make it today. Well, how about the church that prays together, stays together? Yeah, that too, you know, but it's so true. A church that prays together, stays together. And we've all seen many schemes of the enemy against the church thwarted and made to nothing. His plans are made to nothing when the church is continually praying. And man, if you look, if you've ever been part of a church split, Or you've ever been part of an unhealthy church? Man, examine the prayer meeting of that church. Was there a prayer meeting where there was corporate prayer where the entire body could come and consistently, steadfastly continue with a purpose and persevere in earnest, fervent, boiling prayer? Was there a prayer meeting? How large was the prayer meeting? Was it even existent? And we see the first heartbeat of prayer in the book of Acts was... A continual, fervent prayer meeting. And then in chapter 2, verses 1-4 through of Acts, it says, "...when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting." Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So here they are again. They're in one accord. They're praying in one accord. And it was when they were all together praying in one accord that the promise of the Father came from chapter one, that being the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the power to be witnesses to the whole world. And they prayed in one accord. They prayed in unity. It wasn't necessarily that they got together. It was they prayed with the like-mindedness that the promise of the Father, they were crying out for the promise of the Father to come. There's the story of five young college students spending a Sunday in London. And they decided that they would go, you know, this was back in the 1860s. They decided that they would go to uh, the famous Charles Spurgeon's church there at the Metropolitan Tabernacle. And as they, uh, we're standing outside waiting for the doors of the church to be open. A man came out and said, you know, hey, how are you? Who are you? Blah, blah, blah. Hey, would you like to come in and have a, a tour of the church? And they said, oh, that'd be great, you know? And so he brought them in and showed them the sanctuary and kind of showed them, you know, the little coffee bar that they had there. You know, would you like an espresso and this and that? And, and he said, hey, would you like to see our boiler room? And they were kind of like, ah. Uh. Sure, you know, uh, it's really hot outside and not that big of a fan of boilers, but sure, take me there, you know. And he led them downstairs and back into a corridor where there was a room and he opened the door and it was there that he showed them 700 prayer warriors praying before the service. And he said, this is the boiler room. This is where the heat comes from in our church. This is where power is made available. And as he led them back outside, he he introduced himself to actually be Charles Spurgeon himself. And so back in those days, you know, a, a boiler room, you know, those boilers, they provided the steam that would power huge factory machines or even the littlest thing like warming your house. And Charles Spurgeon knew that just as there became much power from the steam, from that heat and from the fire, so the believers needed to be praying and creating the steam and crying out for the power in fact you know as you go into those those boiler rooms we used to meet in an old middle school that was condemned for students to come into and and uh, in Corvallis, and they said, "Well, you know, we can't meet in there, so have a church come in. Maybe an earthquake will happen, and it'll fall on the church or something." But you know, so we met there, and and there was this boiler room, you know. And I was like, "Oh, the boiler room, and, you know." And there's just it's making noise and clinking and clanking, you know. And you'd go in there, and it's just hot, you know. And you would go down these stairs, and and uh, there's like these dark tunnels that go off the, the side of it, you know. And it it was a dirty place. It was a a hot place to be, you know, and in the same way, sometimes prayer times, those times of being in the boiler room, they're not always hunky dory, awesome times. Sometimes they're, you know what, I'm going to persevere even though prayer is hard. It's a Monday morning and it's 5 30 a.m. and I'm with a couple of guys and we're praying and it's tired and I'm tired and you know, it's hot outside or whatever. And it's just, it's hard, but you persevere in prayer. In fact, that's why Paul says in Colossians, he talks about Epaphras who would labor abundantly in prayers. He would labor. And sometimes prayer is just that. It's laboring. Sometimes it's easy and great and refreshing and exciting. And sometimes it's like, man, I'm going even though I don't feel like it. I'm going to go pray out of faith because the Lord tells me to. And I believe that it's going to end up bearing much fruit and bringing much power and Charles Spurgeon knew that as he would teach to 10,000 people every Sunday. He knew where the power came from. And one day, you know, as, as the prayer meeting began to decrease in number, he cried out and he said this to, to fellow pastors. He said, brethren, we shall never see much change for the better in our churches in general till the prayer meeting occupies a higher place in the esteem of Christians. And man, as we read the book of Acts and we see the pulse of prayer, the heartbeat of prayer, and it's strong and it's healthy and it's rapid, and you see the church growing, you you see the church exploding. And in Acts chapter two, verse 42, we see another pulse, and it's kind of a continual pulse that the early church would continue steadfastly there's that phrase again, Continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and of prayers. And so it's here that you see the essential fundamental activities of a healthy church. They have the apostles' doctrine, which is studying the word. There's fellowship with one another and with Christ. There's communion, which is fellowship with Christ and remembering what he did on the cross. Uh love feasts perhaps could be that breaking of bread as well as prayer These are the essential fundamentals of the christian faith and i'll tell you what i'm a fundamentalist That's an insult that the world tries to throw at us, but you know what i'm a fundamentalist I stick to the word of god and to the basics that come from the word of god and a church needs to be Uh needs to be undergirded by these things. It's been said that methods are many and principles are few. Methods are always changing and principles never do. And out there in the church today, there's so many different ways that you can try and reach the town or, you know, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do something crazy from the pulpit and then more people will come in. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do the, I'm going to take my shirt off from the pulpit, you know, and wow, I'm bringing my friend for that or, or not bringing your friend, depending, you know. But out there today, there's so many different methods and, you know, and what are we going to do this time? We got to make it bigger than it was last time. And yet they're forgetting the fundamental things that, that undergird the church and one of those being prayer. And we see that phrase there again. They continued steadfastly. They had ongoing perseverance and dedication to prayer. Now keep in mind that this is for the whole church. It's not just for the elders or the pastors. It's for the whole church. All that we are, we should be corporately praying together, individually praying and corporately praying together, continually praying. Man, as you remember Acts chapter nine, or excuse me, Mark chapter 9, when Jesus and, and three of the disciples were coming down from the mount of transfiguration, they immediately met a dis, uh, a demon-possessed boy, that the disciples were trying to cast the demon out and they couldn't get him to come out. And after Jesus comes and rescues them on the scene, they asked the Lord, why couldn't we cast out this demon? And he says, this kind comes out only by prayer and fasting. And he's not talking about, you know, just, you know, when you come across the demon and you're just like, Oh Lord, deliver him from the demon. You know, uh, it's not just a one-time deal. Sometimes it is, and that's awesome. But then there's those powerful ones where it takes a lifestyle of prayer. It takes a, you're, you have a lifestyle of prayer. You, you're continually praying and you're continually fasting. You've got fasting as a, a pillar of your faith. And as H.A. Ironside said, no one can have power over unclean spirits unless he is an intimate touch with God. That's the issue here is intimate touch with God, continuing steadfastly being in the presence of the Lord. Jump over there to verse 47 of chapter two. Is that a Christmas ringtone? Is that that time already? Verse 47, we see that the Lord at the end of the verse, the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Man, when a church sticks to the basic principles of the faith and and you're teaching the word and there's fellowship and there's communion and there's breaking of bread and there's prayer, then the Lord will add to the church daily those who are being saved. What an incredible result of prayer. Look in Acts chapter three, verse one, the pulse continues, the heartbeat continues. And it says, now Peter and John went up together together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And we know just from history that they would go three times a day for prayer. It was their custom to go and to be in prayer three times a day. And how the Lord uses people who have a custom of prayer, a custom of uh, continual, steadfast prayer, just like these disciples did you know the story, eventually a man is healed and Peter ends up getting to preach and 5,000 people get saved that day because they were on their way to pray like they normally did. It's the same as in the book of Daniel chapter 6. You guys remember it, you know, uh, the, the governors and the satraps were jealous of Daniel's favor that he had with King Darius and so they said, hey, King Darius, oh, King Darius, live forever. We've got a great deal. You are so awesome, King Darius. We should do like a whole month where nobody prays to anybody but you. You know, if they tried to catch Daniel in some kind of sin or break in the law, but they couldn't. So they said, the only way we can trick him or get him is concerning the law of his God. So they made a law that you could only pray to King Darius for 30 days. And I know, well, Daniel, he can't keep that law. So we're going to catch him. Sure enough, Daniel chapter six, verse 10, it says now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home and in his upper room with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as was his custom since early days. It was Daniel's custom, his practice, that three times a day he would kneel down and cry out to the Lord. It was the disciples' custom. And the Lord uses those who have that healthy pulse, that healthy custom of prayer in their lives. I'm take a little sip after two Bible studies. The old throat's getting a little raspy. I feel like the guy on third day. No. <clears throat> Robert E. Lee, the uh, famous Confederate general from the Civil War, an amazing man of God. In fact, if you ever get the chance, and you don't mind a little war movie, uh, read Gods and Generals, and it's an incredible story of, of these men's faith back in the Civil War, a whole separate issue. But Robert E. Lee wrote this, knowing that intercessory prayer is our mightiest weapon and the supreme call for all Christians today, I pleadingly urge our people everywhere to pray. Believing that prayer is the greatest contribution that our people can make in this critical hour, I humbly urge that we take time to pray, to really pray. Let there be prayer at sunup, at noonday, at sundown, at midnight, all through the day, let us pray for our children, our youth, our aged, our pastors, our homes. Let us pray for our churches. Let us pray for ourselves that we may not lose the word concern out of our Christian vocabulary. Let us pray for our nation. Let us pray for those who've never known Jesus Christ and redeeming love. For moral forces everywhere. For our national leaders. Let prayer be our passion. Let prayer be our practice. And man, just reading that going, man, is prayer my practice? I want it to be my practice. I want it to be my custom. I want it to be a a habit, a healthy habit. You know, there's a a funny story that I read recently of of a woman that went to a church in Tennessee and she noticed a little boy sitting up in the front row. And as the pastor was preaching, the little boy started getting restless, you know, little restless, and, you know, he starts drawing on papers, you know, and showing everybody, hey, look what I can draw, you know, and pretty soon he's, like, pinching his mom, and the mom's pinching him back, like, stop goofing around, it's Bible study time, you know, and pretty soon he's on the ground, rolling around on the ground, you know, and he's, like, laying in the pew, like, doing shadow puppets for everybody to see, and, and pretty soon he just throws an all-out, you know, fit on the ground in the front row, and so the mom grabs the kid and puts her under his arm or under her or whatever, and starts running out, you know, and this little Southern kid goes, y'all pray for me now, (laughs) you know, and, you know, for some of us, that's like, that's pretty much the time that we pray, you know, oh Lord, help that little boy have some, it's okay to be chastened, help him be chastened, okay, you know, And, and that's it, you know, it's like, uh, that's like the, the most we pray is very rarely, you know, um, you know, we're about one step above rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub being, you know, our main prayer pulse of the day, you know, thank you, Lord, for this food, woo, you know, and that's like all the Lord hears from us all day, you know, or we're like the, you know, the most that we pray for our friend with encouragement is one step above putting your arm around him and just saying, hakuna matata, my friend, hakuna matata, you know, I was watching the Lion King yesterday. We found it in an old box and, you know, it means no worries for the rest of your day. Okay. But, you know, and that's like, yeah, I am a prayer warrior. And, and you know, it's, it's like, man, for some of us, that's like, that's good. That's like our great prayer life, you know? But, you know, as as you put the finger to the the pulse in Acts, you see a strong, steady pulse, not a blump, blump the lump, you know, mean, if you were a nurse and you're like, Ooh, well, he's not dead because about every 10 minutes that heartbeats. I've never seen that before. Uh, doctor, um, we have an issue over here. I think there's an alien in this guy's body, but uh, you know, no, it was a steady. It was a healthy. It was a strong heartbeat, pulse, consistent and powerful. It was a practice, it was a custom, and it ought to be our practice and our custom as well. And as you look at Acts chapter 3 verse 13, you see that when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. They had been with Jesus They knew that they were untrained guys. They were fishermen. They smelled like fish. They looked like fish. You know, they had nets all over. They had like nets on their arms. That was a little weird, you know, and stuff. But, you know, a little bit, but man, they had been with Jesus and they marveled at that. And they couldn't argue with them because they had been with Jesus. The same is true for us today. As we've been with Jesus, as we spend time with Jesus, and we know that we can do that. How? Through time in the word through communion, through fellowship with one another and through prayer. And I want to encourage you guys today. What's the strength level of those areas in your life? You know, here at Calvary Chapel, we, we major in teaching the word. We have barbecues and potlucks and ultimate frisbee games. I don't know, whatever, you know, I'm new around here, but you know, we're pretty strong in fellowship. We could probably grow in the fellowship area, you know. Communion—we we have communion. Remember the cross of Christ. But where are we at in our prayer lives? On on the level, on the scale, where are we at? Where are you at personally, and where are we at together on that prayer scale? And I just feel the Lord is just showing me we can grow in that area. He wants to put the paddles on our heart and, you know, and just give us like a you know, where we're just like, you know, he wants to make you know, he's alive again. Whoa. You know, uh, he wants to do that in us. In Acts chapter four, verse 23, we see a, an amazing prayer that we're going to come back and close with. And then in Acts chapter six, verses one through seven it says, now in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying There arose a complaint against the Hellenists, or excuse me, against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer, and to the ministry of the word. And so you see the elders and the pastors in the early church giving themselves continually, there's that word again, uh, to the word of God and to prayer. And you know what? Every ministry in the church should be undergirded by those principles, should be majoring in the word, and should be majoring in prayer. And then as you look at verse seven, you see what happened when you do that, when you commit to that Verse 7, then the word of God spread. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Man, I don't know about you, but that's right up there with chapter 2, verse 47. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. When a church will pray and major in prayer and continue steadfastly in prayer, salvation happens incredible fruit happens. People are broken loose of, of bondage. And man, are you catching the vision of prayer? Are you wanting to be like, like these here? Are you wanting the word of God to spread in number and, and the number of disciples to multiply greatly in Prineville? I know you do. You probably do more than I do. You guys know the faces. You guys know the names. You guys know the, the, the voices out there that are just crying out for redemption And man, if we would set our face to pray, what revival would come? What strongholds would be broken? In Acts chapter 9, just real quick, verse 10, we see Ananias was a man of prayer. In Acts chapter 10, verses 2 through 4, we'll just read that real quick. An awesome little story about Cornelius. Verse 2, he was a Well, we just read verse one. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius. He was a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. And about the ninth hour of the day, he was uh, saw clearly in a vision, an angel of God coming and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, what is it, Lord? So he said to him, underline this guys, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. You guys, this was Cornelius. He was a Gentile and he wasn't even saved yet. He was a guy that, that was seeking after God. He was praying. He was giving. The Holy Spirit was was showing him his need for the savior. He was ripe for the pickings and the Lord was going to send Peter to come preach the gospel to him. But before he was even saved, his prayers were as a memorial before the Lord. Imagine what this man was like as a believer. He was devout. He was giving both of his money and of his time because he was devout in prayer And man, I just wonder how many of us have memorials in the Lord today and how many of us are going to have huge memorials before the Lord because we're prayer warriors uh, for him. And so I just love that story about Cornelius. But at the same time, over in uh, verse nine, you know, Cornelius is over here having this vision and the Lord and the angel speaking to him. Then over here in Joppa, um, towards the end of the verse nine, it says, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. So here's another big heartbeat of prayer. Peter going up on the housetop. Why? Why was he going? Not to get a tan, not to check out the cool view of Joppa and to see the ships sailing, you know, but he went up there specifically with the purpose to pray. And as he did, the Lord met him and showed him the vision of the sheet coming down. You guys remember the sheet coming down with all the unclean animals in it. And the Lord said, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, not so, Lord, for nothing unclean has ever entered my mouth. And the Lord says, Peter, do not call unclean what the Lord calls clean. Little life lesson for you, Peter, because I want you to go down up to Caesarea and I want you to lead a Gentile to me, to Christ. And so it was there on this time of prayer and waiting on the Lord that history was made, a key moment in history as the gospel went forth to the Gentiles. And you and I are here today because of that wonderful moment in history. And um, God moved through prayer there in Acts chapter 10. Then Acts chapter 12, verse 5, just the story there is that Herod rose up and started persecuting Christians and he put, he killed James. Some say he was beheaded. Some say he was sawn in two. The word says that he was thrust through with the sword and it pleased the Jews that James was killed. And so then Herod went and arrested Peter uh, to do the same thing. And so while Peter's waiting there in prison, uh, chapter 12, verse 5, it says, Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant. That means constantly or earnestly. Constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church while he's in prison. Constant prayer. What an amazing thing that there as constant prayer is offered up that Peter is there in prison and he's chained between two Roman guards and an angel comes in the middle of the night and taps him on the side with his sword and says, get up, let's get out of this place. And the chains fell off, just fell off right there, fell off of Peter's hands. And he goes running out. He thinks he's having some kind of a vision and he goes running out of the prison and the big prison doors just open on their own, much like those big Anton big old wood gate you know although these were probably more like squeaky 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 squeaky, you know but these doors just open by themselves and Peter's running and an angel's guiding him and and does he have any idea that at that moment constant prayer even at that moment constant prayer was being offered up for him uh there's a man named Sir William Temple, and he was in the Irish Parliament back in the 1600s. And William, Sir William Temple said, when I pray, coincidences happen. When I don't, they don't and man as you are fervent in prayer and some of you have seen this as you are a a man or a woman of prayer it's incredible to see well we were just praying for that guy last night that someone would come and talk to him and and he'd be delivered from his drug addiction and come to jesus that was last night yeah well last night you know billy went over and saw that guy and, and shared jesus with him he's like off of drugs now and he's falling hardcore after jesus what a coincidence you know I mean, the coincidences are, you know, the world calls them coincidences. We know what they are. They're the hand of God moving because people pray. And so you guys love the story as much as I do because there in verse 12, we see the prayer meeting happening that was responsible for moving the angel to get over there. And it says in verse 12, so when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary. So Peter comes to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark where many were gathered together praying. And as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. And when she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. But they said to her, you're crazy, you're beside yourself. Yet she kept insisting that it was so. So they said, it's his angel. (laughs) Now Peter continued knocking, and when they opened the door, they saw him, but they were astonished but motioning to them with his hand to keep silent, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And so you can just imagine that scene. They know Peter's in jail. Rhoda goes to the door hearing the crazy knocking. Hey guys, it's Peter. You know, she doesn't even open the door for him. She just slams the gate in his face or slams the little window thingy in the face. And, and they say, you're crazy. It's not Peter. A lot of faith they had in their prayers, by the way, you know, oh you're crazy can't be him. no it is i know his voice and he's still not well if it is him it's his ghost he's been murdered and it's his ghost it's it's his angel so we still shouldn't let him in or we should because i'm guessing that we should you know and so finally they did and and they were able to rejoice and imagine the conversation that took place you guys were having a prayer meeting here you were praying for me oh praise the lord what a dink. as you were praying i was freed from prison it wasn't a dink, says rhoda it was prayer, you know, and thank you, Rhoda. But when we're with the big people, we use our big people voices. Um, poor Rhoda gets a bad brat. No, not really. Um, and then in Acts chapter 13, we, we see um, verse two as there, there's a prayer meeting going on. And as they minister to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I've called them. And then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, They sent them away. And so as there's a time of ministering to the Lord and prayer and fasting, leaders are raised up and and sent out and used for the work of the ministry. And you see that again in chapter 14, verse 23. So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they would believed. And so uh, again, they, they commend people to the Lord. They sent out leaders after times of prayer and after times of fasting. And are you guys aware that there's a, uh, you know, a a 14-year-old girl in this church who has a heart for Korea? Are you guys aware of that? I mean, that's crazy. In Prineville? What? You know, a 14-year-old girl who has a a heart for Korea and she decorates her room in Korean and she is learning the language. And I'm always, what's the Korean word of the day? You know, and she tells me and I forget, but, uh, you know. We have a 14-year-old girl in this church who has a heart for Korea. Let's get her to the prayer meeting on a constant basis. And imagine if, you know, for three more years, we just continually supplicate on her behalf what kind of an individual we will have to send out from this church. And there's many more just like her, I'm sure. And then in Acts chapter 16, as we move along and just keep feeling the pulse and the heartbeat of prayer through the book of Acts, Acts chapter 16, verse 13, Paul and Silas had been sent out like we read and they go to Philippi and it's there. Verse 13, and on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the women uh, who met there. Now, a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. So the church in Philippi starts by a woman's prayer meeting. A woman's prayer meeting starts this church in Philippi. Isn't that incredible? I did a study on this as as we were going through that week of fasting. I'm always talking about it. It was such a key time in my life. And as I'm reading this, I put a little note in my journal. I put, Lord, may a, a prayer meeting start the church that you lead me to plant it is how neat to now see that how it worked out. I didn't end up planting a church, but, but, uh, you know, the Lord is just giving me a heart, uh, to birth prayer in this body. And, um, and just to see how much more the Lord is going to use, uh, Calvary of Crook County from now on also, um, and so you have a, a the origin of the church starting with a women's prayer meeting, and then within a couple of verses, uh, you know Paul and Silas are walking, and a demon possessed girl is coming behind them and and pestering them for a few days. And so they they finally turn around and cast the demon out of this girl. Turns out she's a psychic girl who's been making her master a lot of money, and now that she doesn't have a demon in her, uh, she's not able to do that. And so the owner of this this girl. Presses charges against Paul and Silas, so they arrest Paul and Silas and start beating them and flogging them and scourging them. And so it's after they had this huge beating that they're sitting there licking their wounds in prison. It's midnight. You know, you would think you would be downcast, but all of a sudden Paul says to Silas, Silas, I feel it coming on. You feel what coming on? I feel it coming on. What? Amazing grace. Whoa, What are you doing? How sweet. Join with me, Silas. And Silas was like, Yeah. How sweet. The you know. And they start singing hymns and praying at midnight, and the whole prison heard it, and the earth was shaken, and the jail was shaken, and the bars fell off the walls, and they, you know, they they walk out of the the cell. And there the Philippian jailer is like, what is going on? I'm going to kill myself because this is, you know, and he starts to kill himself and they say, no, don't kill yourself. He's like, well, what must I do to be saved? And they'll believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you and your household and you'll be saved. And it was because of a prayer meeting. It was because of time crying out to the Lord that this happened. And, and so here's the Philippian jailer and his whole household are added to the church in Philippi that Lydia and those women started in that prayer meeting. And then as you read the book of uh, Philippians, you see that the whole palace guard gets saved and it all has its roots in a prayer meeting, two prayer meetings there in Philippi. I just love that story. In Acts chapter 20, verse 36, Paul's goodbye to the Ephesian elders as he knows that he's going to be delivered up to to Rome and he's going to be eventually killed. He knew that. And as he's saying goodbye to the Ephesian elders, it ends with them kneeling down and praying. And then in chapter 21, verse 5, he sails through to Tyre. And they all say goodbye to Paul by kneeling down on the sand of the shore and by praying. And how public prayer is such an incredible witness, I've noticed. It's just so neat because about two weeks ago, the, the church staff, we all took a hike up the face of the lookout And, uh, Gail met us up there with a guitar and we, we worship the Lord and we prayed over the city as a staff and two guys pull up in a Bronco and they look over and they, before we even started, like even anything, they just knew we were believers and they came over and they joined us. And it was just this incredible time of fellowship with these guys as we prayed over the town. And, um, and so here they, you know, they kneel down on the seashore and, and pray another pulse there. And then, so we'll close just by looking at Acts chapter four, verse 23, and looking at the longest recorded prayer in the book of Acts. Uh, In this prayer, we see who was prayed or who prayed, what was prayed and the result of prayer. It all makes this passage really powerful. And in verse 23, it says, being let go, they went down to their own companions. This is right after they'd been released from, um, from prison for healing that lame man and then sharing the gospel. They were released from prison and reported to all the chief priests and the elders what they had said to them. And so when they heard that, they raised their voices to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. So we see Peter and John and his companions praying out here. And it's a powerful prayer. First of all, they set their eyes on God and they declare who he is, that he's the creator who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that's in them. And then in verse 25, who by the mouth of your servant David has said, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. So they set their eyes on God, they declare who he is. In verse 25, they recognize the inspiration of scriptures by saying, The mouth of your through the mouth of your servant David, you wrote these scriptures. Then they quote that scripture. This is all part of prayer. You know, corporate prayer. You're declaring who God is. You're acknowledging the, the inspiration of scriptures. You're quoting scriptures in prayer. You're applying scripture as they did there in verse 27. Verse 28, you know, through that, to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. And so they recognize the sovereignty of God. And it's in their prayer that they have both uh, theology and spirit-filled prayers happening. It's, it's drenched in theology. Now, Lord, verse 29, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness, they may speak your word. And so they didn't ask to be delivered out of their trials, but they asked that they would have boldness to do even more through those trials, that they could speak the word, that they could open their mouths. And and they asked for that, that they could speak the word. Just like in Colossians chapter four, verse two, it says, that we're to continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it. That word vigilant means to have open eyes in prayer. We're to continue in prayer with open eyes. And then he goes on to say, And pray for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I'm in change, that I may speak as I ought to speak, he says there in Colossians. Paul says, pray that a door would be open that I could speak as I ought to speak because as Christians, we ought to speak. That's why in Ephesians chapter six, verses 18 through 20, he says, pray for me. Again, he asked for prayer that he might open his mouth and make known the mystery of the gospel. And some of you could agree with me that sometimes all it takes is just opening our mouths, isn't it? I mean, I've just noticed so many times that if I just, I don't know what I'm going to say. I'm freaking out. I'm totally scared, but here we go, Lord. And I just you know, open the mouth. The Lord just starts moving the tongue. Then he starts speaking things and bringing the remembrance thing. I would have never remembered apart from him. And he just starts speaking with power. And sometimes I even kind of just step aside and go, wow, Lord, are you doing this through me? You know, it's all you speaking right now, but man, we need to open our mouths and they prayed that they would. And we see in a couple verses, that prayer is answered. Then he says in verse 30, by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So they cry out for signs of wonders, not to replace the word of God. Signs and wonders should never replace the word of God. And I remember growing up uh, in in a really Pentecostal church at one point in my life. And the pastor would get up there with his Bible. And then all of a sudden he'd be like, you know, and he'd just be like, he'd take his suit coat off and we'd be all like, here it comes, here it comes, you know, forget the Bible. And as a kid, I was like, yeah, no Bible study today. We're going to do some crazy stuff, you know, and he would set his Bible down and he'd take his suit coat off and be like, who wants some, you know, I'm like, me. And they come up and he's like, boom, hit him on the head. They'd fall over and start screaming. There was an NFL football player that went to this church and he was like loud and scary. I was like, whoa, but you know, but the signs and wonders, they're never meant to replace the word of God, but they're to validate the word of God. And so they did. They cried out for signs of wonders. And verse 31, when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. So here's that pulse. When they had prayed, the place that they were in had had shaken, and they were filled with the with the Holy Spirit. They were overflowed with the Holy Spirit. And, and the place that they, or excuse me, and they began to speak, their prayer was answered. They began to speak the word of God with boldness. And so the result of the prayer here, the answer to the prayer was the filling of the Holy Spirit or the overflowing of the Holy Spirit for power that they could be witnesses, as Acts chapter one verse says, uh, throughout the world that they could speak with boldness. And so what God might do In a church that consistently, steadfastly, continually prays what he might do in Calvary Chapel of Crook County. I had you guys flip a little while back to James chapter five, verse 16, where it says that the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. But then it goes on to encourage us. And it says, Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain in the land for three years and six months. Elijah was a guy just like you and me. He had fears. He had failures. He had struggles. He had sin in his life. He struggled. You know, he had a pity party for himself. You know, he thought he was the last prophet left in the world and that Jezebel and Ahab were going to come and kill him. And he didn't know that, Obadiah was storing up a hundred prophets in a cave, keeping them safe. And, and, you know, he thought he was the only guy left. He had this pity party the whole time. He was just like us. We have pity parties all the time. And he says, and the Lord says, okay, proclaim a fast. And in first Kings chapter 17, verse one, he, or not a fast uh, um, famine or no rain, lack of rain, drought. And, uh, and so he does that chapter, chapter 17, verse one, and, and the rain stops. And then three and a half years later, In 1 Kings chapter 18, after the amazing Mount Carmel victory of the Lord, you guys know the story, the fire coming down and consuming the sacrifice. After that happened, Elijah is up on that mountain and and we'll be there together someday, Lord willing. We'll go on that Israel trip and we'll sit on Mount Carmel and we'll read this story. But as Elijah is there, a man with a nature just like ours, the Lord says, okay, it's time to bring the rain back. So start praying for rain. And so Elijah says, Lord, bring back the rain and he has his servant up there on the hill with him. And he goes, look over there towards uh, the sea and see if the rain, you're about 20 miles away from the sea. You can see the sea from Mount Carmel. He says to his servant, go see if the rain has come. And, and the servant goes, no, there's no rain. He's like, well, let's bring, Lord, please bring the rain. You know, I'm crying out for the clouds and the rain to come. Look, no, nope, no rain, no clouds. You know? And so seven times they pray that. I mean, I would have given up after like the second time, you know, seven times, Okay, servant, check. Is there anything? And finally, the servant's like, no, there's no. Whoa! <laughs> you know, he looks and coming up out of the sea is a cloud the size of a man's hand. Get ready for a storm, buddy. You know, we got a huge cloud system coming in and it's like, whoosh, 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 whoosh. you know, and, uh, and you know, then here comes the rain. But he was a guy just like us. What would happen if we would cry out, just like he would. The church was a church that prayed and they supplicated and they waited on the Lord. And as we hold the Lord to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, that those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint, just like Elijah up on the mountain. He waited on the Lord and he prayed seven times. And then it says, after he waited on the Lord and the rain came, he took his robe and he girded it up and he ran and he overtook Ahab's chariot. He ran and he, and he did not grow weary. He did not faint. The Lord will do that for us as we consistently pray and cry out to him. The early church was a church that pulsed with intercession. And in Revelation chapter 5 verse 8 and 8 chapter 8 verse 4, there's two different accounts of the prayers of the saints being in these giant bowls in heaven, the prayers of the saints, they're, they're like this incense and the angels would pour the bowl under the fire and it would smoke and just fill the, the, uh, the, the throne room with the glory of God. And man, how, if, if Crook County Calvary Chapel had its own bowl up there, you know, how big would it be? What are, what's our prayers like right now? How much incense is going into those bowls? I mean, is it like, yeah, or is it like, All right, here's a little from every chapel, Creek County, you know, may it be bringing in the forklift with the, you know, the ball from every chapel, Creek County, you know, like Lord do that in our church. May there be so much incense rising from this place. And as you can probably get at from this Bible study, the Lord has burdened my heart that this church have a consistent, weekly prayer meeting where the whole body can corporately come together and cry out to God and wait on the Lord and and intercede and pray for marriages that are hurting and pray for people that are involved in bondage and addiction and cry out for this town that we'd be saved and cry out for ourselves and just sometimes just be silent and wait on the Lord and seek the Lord for vision on how to reach this town. The Lord has just been burdening me and not just Now, but it's something that he's been creating in me over the last few years. And especially these last few months, like, oh, that we might have a pulse. In fact, as the Lord is moving on me, you know, I felt like, you know, I kind of had like one idea, like something to name this prayer night. What should we name it? And I had one idea. And then as I was studying for that youth retreat, the Lord goes, no, Rory, I want you to call it the pulse. It'll be a time during the week that the Lord can put his, his finger on the throat of Calvary Crook County, and feel the pulse and in the same manner that an EMT would do that, and know the victim is still alive or the victim is healthy he 's not even a victim you know and, and now that my wife is is pregnant, you know, and, and we go into um, the the doctor with Russell, you know who you know he 's kind of figuring out what 's going on inside his mommy 's tummy, you know, we go in there and, and the doctor gets the ultrasound and puts it on the stomach. And, and all of a sudden, wooza, 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 wooza. and Russell, you know, he's playing like with a dinosaur and we're like giving him a sucker. So he won't throw a fit. And he'll be like, oh, that's baby sister. That's baby sister. You know, in the same way, you know, that the Lord might hear whoosh, 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 thump, thump, thump from Prineville, that he might feel the pulse, that he might hear the pulse and know that there's life. You know, and I was sharing that with my buddy, Johnny, who was going to move to Wyoming with me. He goes, dude, the pulse brings life throughout the whole body. Just like prayer brings life throughout the whole body of Christ. And I was like, oh, yes, you know, Lord, jumpstart our hearts. And I know that you guys are are people that that believe this and, and want this. And may the Lord work this in us. A weekly prayer meeting, a night combining, waiting on the Lord, interceding, supplication, waiting on the Lord, worship, and the using of the gifts. It's the lifeblood of any church. And this is a healthy church. I'm so blessed to come to a healthy church. We're already healthy. Imagine, you know, given more of a thrust, how much more healthy we can be and what the Lord can do in us even more. Without prayer, we'd be dead spiritually. We'd be spiritually flatlined. And so I want to encourage you guys to make prayer a priority. It's going to be Thursday nights from 6 to 7.30. And there are going to be so many things that are going to compete with this night. But I'll tell you what, we're going to spend time with the Lord. And that word spend speaks of cost. We're going to count the cost and we're going to spend time with the Lord. And it's going to be hard because you're going to have to give up Thursday night when Lost is on, you know, on ABC. TiVo it. I don't care. You know, you're going to have to, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe the Lord's moving you to quit a sport. You know, you're going to have to give up that evening where you're, you know, sitting in front of the TV or hanging out with the family and you can bring your family to prayer together. It's going to cost. But you know what, just like we were studying in 2 Samuel, where David was going to make the offering there on the threshing floor because of the plague that he'd brought on the people. And Orniah offered to give the the oxen and the equipment to make the sacrifice, and it would have cost David nothing. And David says, No, I must pay for it myself, for how can I offer to God that which costs me nothing? It's going to be a cost. It's going to be, at times, a boiler room type experience where it's hot and it's laborious, but man, it's worth it. And power will come. It will heat the church, it will heat the city, and God will move. It's been said that you can tell how popular the church is by how many people attend Sunday morning. And you can tell how popular the pastor is by how many people attend Wednesday night. But you can tell how popular Jesus is by how many people attend the prayer meeting. And you know, I don't say that in like a condemning way or anything like that, but man, we're all too busy to pray, aren't we? There's, you know, there's no night of a week that's a good night uh, for our flesh to give up an hour and a half to pray, but we're going to do it. And we're going to discipline our bodies, just like Paul said, and bring our bodies under subjection and just watch as it gets easier. You know, in Corvallis, our prayer meeting night was on Saturday night and always like, man, if I'm ever a pastor, it's never going to be on Saturday night. That's like the worst night. And then now that I'm here, I'm like, man, Saturday night, it, it, it has the potential to be an amazing night. And the elders, as we prayed, we chose Thursday night, but, um, and also, man, how often as I knew that it's Saturday and we've got prayer meeting off in the distance, how often I'd just be like, oh, prayer meetings tonight. And yeah, I like prayer meeting, but oh, I don't really want to go today. And what can I do to get out of it? And what can I kind of bring on myself to like, oh, I've got to go to Portland to pick up that thingamajig, you know, I can't be at prayer. And, but as I disciplined myself and said, no, I know it's important. I would go and just be so refreshed and so encouraged. And so, man, I encourage you guys to try and be there every week and to discipline yourselves to be there and to make it an I get to thing rather than I, I have to thing. And just watch what the Lord will do. Watch how the Lord will heal your marriage. Watch how the Lord will bring you out of bondage and watch how the Lord will give you victory in certain situations and watch how the Lord will give you power. Just watch. I dare you to commit and I dare you to be consistent and earnest I was just listening to an Alistair Begg study, one of my favorite pastors, and he just said, uh, he said, so often churches discover people aren't up to it. It takes a tremendous commitment to do it. They discover people would be happier without it. And so they just let it go. It's so possible to do this in relationship to prayer. And that would be a great mistake. And, you know, I'm so blessed as I share this with the elders, this heart, this vision that they're like, oh, praise God. I'm, I catch the vision and I see it in Acts and I know that the Lord wants to do it in this church. Man, may we catch the vision today. Let's go ahead and pray and we'll go ahead and have uh, Stuart come up and the worship team and let's just respond to the Lord and to, you know, and I just felt as I was at one o'clock last night, I was just on the on my face in the couch, just praying. And I just so wanted to deliver this vision rightly. And I kept telling Lindsay, Oh, I just, I want to birth the vision to the church rightly. And she's like, why do you keep saying birth the church? Cause doing that. You know what I mean? You know, but, and as I was crying out to the Lord last night, he just said, Rory, it's not your vision. It's It's not your thing, Rory. It's my thing. It's a church thing. And so Rory, I'll deliver it. And so as we close we just want to respond to the Lord and and just as the uh the two disciples were walking with Jesus on the road to Emmaus after Jesus rose from the dead and they spoke to him they didn't know that it was Jesus at first but man after they were done talking they said man didn't our hearts stir within us as we heard him speak and man I pray that today your heart is stirred within you for prayer for consistent, earnest, persistent prayer. And that corporately we could join each other and cry out for this town and cry out for our families and just see what God would do. And so as we close with this song, just in response, if your heart is stirred as we sing, I just encourage you to stand up and just say, Lord, my heart is stirred as I see the pulse of prayer through the book of Acts. I want that in my life. I want you to put your finger to my heart and feel me alive in prayer. And man, maybe as you respond, just say, Lord, I purpose in my heart to be at the prayer meeting as often as I'm able. I purpose in my prayer. I recognize that it's important. And just as we close with that song, if, if that's you, just stand and respond and and maybe you're just not there and you're just like, yeah, I just don't see it. I just got other things I can do and I'm just not feeling it. Then Maybe just ask the Lord, Lord, stir my heart for this. As I know it's in your words, stir my heart for this. And maybe even as you're crying out, the Lord will stir your heart and you can stand up and say, Lord, by asking my heart to be stirred, I recognize that you're stirring it. And just as we close, man, let's just respond to the word this morning.